Well, I uh, promise to have you out before the Super Bowl starts. How about that? <laughs> if you're not a football fan, you, you, uh, it doesn't start till 5.30. So. <laughs> All right, I'm just curious. Uh, how many of you are rooting for Denver today? Wow, that's wild. <laughs> All right, how many of you are rooting for the Panthers? Yeah. How many of you don't care? <laughs> yeah, it should, it'll be interesting. Uh, we'll see who's stronger, the sheriff or Superman. So uh, anyway, so. we're in this uh, series, Stronger, and we've been looking at becoming stronger in our Christian life. You know, we looked at becoming stronger in our faith, uh, stronger in love, talked about being stronger in our influence in the community, being stronger salt. And last week we talked about being stronger in our beliefs, and today I want to focus on being stronger in character. I believe if you were to check the top ten list of most Christ followers, what they're looking for in a leader you would find honesty near the top, if not the top thing. And I don't know if you know this, there's an election going on. (laughs) Seems like it's been going on for about two years, doesn't it? But if you were to ask citizens what they want from an elected official, I think after you waded through some political stuff, there would be a deep, deep desire for honesty. I mean, honesty is a a key thing in any relationship. And today I want to talk uh, talk about having stronger character. And I want us to understand that character is a gigantic topic. It covers a broad spectrum uh, of things. It includes uh, qualities like courage and discipline and endurance and faithfulness. But honesty is core to those qualities. And so that's what we're going to focus on, is on honesty. I I don't know about you, but the older I get, the less tolerance I have for uh, deceit, uh, spin, distortion of things. I, I find that my radar goes up. You know, when someone's trying to create an image or to project something that's not so. And it's real easy to see through that stuff. And at this point in my life, I, I'll be honest, I have like zero tolerance for, for lies and deceit. And I think it's because I know the damage that they do. I know the uh, hearts that they break. I know that there's a loss of trust that results because of those things. And what happens, a result over time, is there's this cynicism that that sets in because of of the deceit, because of the lies. And and here's the irony. I have told my fair share of them. In fact, on more than one occasion, I've put a little spin on something or exaggerated something. And, And so... I think about this, that if a flawed person like me has a growing disdain for for deceit, if lies bother, bother you and me, can you imagine for just a moment what a lie must do to the one that's never told a lie? 
one that has stood for perfect truth. I mean, can you imagine for just a moment how much a holy God must hate lies and deceits of any kind? You know, Acts, uh, the fifth chapter, records uh, one of the most sobering stories that you will find in church history. And if you were to back up just a few verses or a few chapters, Jesus has just ascended to heaven. The day of Pentecost has taken place. 3,000 new believers start the first church. And shortly after that, there would be thousands more added to that church. And so all these new Christians... They're devoting themselves. They're, they're teaching God's word. They're fellowshipping. They're having communion. And scripture says the, the church was praying bold prayers. And God was responding to those prayers. And they, we got all this supernatural power of God unfolding in the church. And so the church kind of explodes on the scene and it's changing the world and people are talking about it. And when you read scripture, you find that the church is now caring for, for the poor. You find the, the church that ethnic divisions are beginning to dissolve. And the church is worshiping, and there's this great freedom and this great joy in the early church. And the church, it's blooming, it's growing, and things are really going great until a man and his wife decide to tell a lie. And they tell it to the leaders of the church. And what happened next? Well, they would talk about it for generations. In fact, as I start telling the story, some of you are going to be sitting there going, oh, I've heard that story before. You know, in this new church, there's a guy named Barnabas. And Barnabas, he notices that a lot of the new people that are coming to church, that they're poor and they're struggling. They're struggling to feed their families, to make ends meet. And so Barnabas, he's got this big heart. And it's kind of breaking as he's watching what's going on. And so he's moved, it moves him into action. And he sells a piece of property that, that he owns. He sells it on the open market. And then he brings the proceeds to the church. He gives it to the leadership. And he says, use this to feed the poor that are coming to church. It's a pretty cool story. But the, the word kind of spreads uh, it goes throughout the church about this good deed that this guy's done. Ananias and Sapphira, they're a married couple in the church. They also see the needs of the poor. And they decide they're going to sell a piece of their property. And so they sell their property. And they're going to help the poor. And this is where the things go kind of awry. They pretend to bring all of the proceeds from their sale to the leaders of the church. They want it distributed to the poor. But that's not the truth. The fact is, Ananias and Sapphira, they kind of skim some off the top. They take a percentage of the sale. They go to the bank. They deposit it. And so they present the rest of the money to the church as though they're giving the full amount of the sale. Now, I want you to think about this for just a moment. Ananias and Sapphira, I I believe they cared about the poor. They did not have to sell their property. 
They did not have to give any of the proceeds to the church or to the poor. They didn't have to do that. I, I believe they, they were being sacrificial, but just a little bit deceitful. Not a big deal, right? I mean, the, the poor, the poor are still being served. And so you read the story, you think, no harm, no foul, no one gets hurt. Mm, think again. The apostle Peter, he's a leader in the church. He detects there's some deceitfulness going on, and so he, he confronts Ananias. Scripture says this. I'd encourage you to read this, uh, the whole story, uh, as part of your devotion this week. It's a, it's a great read, but it goes... Peter's talking to Ananias. He says, before you sold the property, it belonged to you. And after you sold it, the money was yours. Why then did you decide to do such thing? He's talking about the deceit here. You have not lied to people. You have lied to who? God. (laughs) When we think about lies... We tend to think horizontally, don't we? I mean, if you lie to me and I lie to you, it's between us, right? Peter here is saying, no, you don't understand. Every lie you tell is more of an affront vertically than it is horizontally. That's why he says, you've not lied to us. You've lied to God. And Scripture says that immediately Ananias falls over dead. Now, this is not a coincidental heart attack. God took his life right then, right there. And I read that and I go, yikes. God moved. And then I begin to think about like the lightning strike thing. Makes you think about who you're sitting next to right now, right? <laughs> and I imagine, if you're like most, you're sitting there going, that's a terrible story. Well, hang on, it's going to get worse. <laughs> Three hours later, Sapphira stops by the church. I figure she's trying to figure out why her husband hasn't gotten home yet, what's holding him up. She runs into Peter. Peter very casually asks her, he says, uh, hey, did, did you give the church all the money from the property that you sold? Did you give it all? She goes, absolutely. I mean, she sticks with the story. We gave it all, which wasn't true. They'd held back a portion. Then Peter has a very strange conversation with her at this point. He goes, shh, shh, be quiet. Do you hear that? Do you hear those footsteps? Yeah, I do. I hear them. Those are the feet of the men who just buried your husband for telling the lie that you just told. And she falls over dead. God takes her life, and that's how the story ends. Scripture says everyone in the church Everyone heard about the news, and they're terrified. And I'm thinking, do you think? (laughs) Two members, bam. You know, two members gone, struck dead, a little lie, a little deceit. 
What do you think, what kind of fear do you think gripped the church that day? Well, I'm guessing the fear of telling a lie of any kind at that point. I bet families gathered around the table and they're eating dinner and they're going, did you hear what happened? Whoa, that's bad. That's horrible. I I imagine that there were, were small groups that were meeting and they're talking about what had happened. They're going, God's kind of sensitive about this lion thing, don't you think? Yeah, did you hear what happened? And, and so there's this sense of God's really serious about it. And some of you are thinking, why, why would God do that? I mean, the church is just getting started. I mean, why such a response? And friends, I've got a guess. This brand new church, it's growing. It's making an impact. Things are happening. They're getting, they're getting so many things right, and, but they have no idea how quickly it could turn on them. If just a hint of deceit were to creep in. See, God knows better than anyone that this church has to be about truth. That families and marriages and friendships and businesses, they all function on one thing, and that's trust. You know, when trust is broken by deceit or distortions or lies or whatever, things go south, and they can go south fast. Sometimes the, the damage is irreparable. And so I think what was going on was God was kind of sending a shot over the bow of the church. God was sending a very clear message to the early church, saying, you know what? What is going on here is so precious. It is so rare. It is is too critical to the redemptive plan that I have for humanity. I love the church and I love people and I will not sit idly by and watch deceit wreck it all. God's saying, you know what? Every time you walk by the fresh graves of Ananias and Sapphira, I want you to think about how important truth-telling is in the church. Think about how critical truth-telling is in your marriages and in your families. I want you to think about how vital and important truth is in, in business relationships and with your friendships and make up your mind to always and only tell the truth, period. And so here's the question today. How do we become stronger in truth in our lives? I mean, how do we root out any distortion, any deceit, any exaggeration when it comes to our character? And so here we go. Are you excited about this? Don't lie. (laughs) I'm just saying, don't lie. The single greatest motivator for me for getting stronger in my own life when it comes to truth 
is when I came to grips with how much God hates and despises deceit. See, that understanding, when it really hit me, it changed me. We live in this world, and everywhere you look, there's deceit. I mean, it's run rampant at this point. We, we hear distortions. We hear spins. We hear lies every day. In fact, so much so, sometimes it's hard to tell the difference, isn't it? When, when we became Christ followers, when you were first a Christ follower in your life, most of us, as the Holy Spirit takes up residency in us, we begin to root out that, that tendency toward deception. You know, the Holy Spirit begins to work in us and press us when, when we're thinking about lying or distorting something or putting a spin on it. And what happens is early on in your walk with Christ, we actually move to greater levels of truth, I think. More than we had ever had before in our lives. We, we make a lot of headway on this one. But the fact is, then we kind of settle in. You know, we kind of kind of settle in. And so you've got the, the sense of when you first start walking, you get these great levels of truth. You take it, take it forward. And then we start comparing ourselves. And it's always interesting because what we do when it comes to truth and honesty, we compare ourselves to like headline-making politicians and CEOs. And so we go, well, I'm doing better than that. We start feeling pretty good about ourselves. Even though we have this distortion in our conversations, we have distortion in our daily lives, we look and we go, eh, I'm better than that. But friends, if we're going to root out dishonesty, we have to come to terms with what that dishonesty does to the heart of God. See, any fractional distortion, any, uh, we like to use the word white lie, any slight exaggeration, Anything that's not true breaks God's heart. It runs counter to who God is. God is 100% truth, period. God's not going to change on this one. It's who God is. Remember Jesus' words. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the truth. The fact is, God is truth. Jesus becomes that, that eternal reminder that God will never be comfortable with anything except 100% truth. God is only about truth, always about truth, period. And God calls you and me to that same lifestyle. And friends, I find that motivates me. I want to be who God called me to be. Another thing that, that motivates me to be stronger in truth is when I fully understand the damage that a lie can do. How many of you have ever been lied to? Come on, don't lie. <laughs> how, did it, how did it feel? How much damage occurred when you found out someone had lied to you? 
I mean, what happens to your ability to trust that person? This week, I was was reading and thinking about this. I thought about early in my Christian walk. I was in a uh, a small group, and uh, we'd get together. We'd study God's Word. And the guys that I was in this study with, I mean, they were they were fired up. I mean, they were fired up for Jesus, and uh, it was kind of a new experience for me. They're opening up, they're sharing, and things, it was very freeing, very encouraging. It was a great experience in my life. And I remember one day I stuck around afterwards, and I'm talking to the leader of the group. And there's this point in our conversation where... I, I just said to him, I said, can I confide something in you? He said, sure, sure. I go, it stays with you and me, right? Uh, of course it does. And so I shared with him something that I was struggling with. And it wasn't a huge thing, but it was to me. I mean, it was really the first time I can remember sharing that kind of a thing. And so afterwards, I'm heading back to the dorm. I'm feeling better about things. I'm feeling encouraged. It was good. It was a good experience. Next week, we gather for Bible study again. And people are sharing before we started. But the whole time, it was like everything was out of sync. It just felt wrong. And then as we began the study, it all started coming together for me. I mean, first of all, the the topic that night was centered around what I had talked to him about the previous week. And and so it was awkward. It was an awkward moment. I could have got through that part of it. But the real issue, and it became very, very clear, all the other guys in this group were aware of the conversation I'd had with the leader in private that week before. They knew it all. I remember kind of getting my bearings, and I called the leader on it. I said, you told me what I shared with you would stay with you and me. And I remember him just shrugging it off. He goes, yeah, yeah, but I decided they needed to know. And at that point, I gathered up my stuff, and I just quietly walked away from the table. And I remember thinking as I was heading back to the dorm, I do not need this. And I remember thinking, I'm never going to share that way with anybody again. I'm going to keep stuff to myself. And I even remember a few times over the following days thinking, is this how Christians operate? Because if it is, I'm not sure I want to be a part of that. Here's my point. That leader's breach of confidence that dishonesty did a lot of damage. It took me several years 
to get where I trusted another leader. And it took me years before I shared at that level again. I mean, I just held back. Many of you have had similar experiences, yes? A lie that that caused you pain. You know, a spouse said, I will never cheat on you, but they did. You know, a business partner says, you can trust me with the books. It's good. I'm good. And then you find out they've been skimming and robbing you for years. Loan a friend money. They said, hey, I'll pay you back in three months. It was three years ago. And they just avoid you. And you're not getting it back. And there's no conversation around it. We've all been lied to. And every time, it's an awful experience. And every time I'm hurt by someone because of their deception, in my spirit, I resolve, I am not going to cause that kind of pain in someone else's life. And it should motivate us because we understand how awful it feels to be lied to and to be deceived. My, my experience with that leader all those years ago made me more determined than ever that I would never break a confidence. And to the best of my knowledge, I, I never have. I never will. I'm just not going down that because I do not want to see that kind of pain. See, it's not because I'm a good guy. It's because I know how it feels to be on the back side of that. You want to get stronger in truth in your life. You look around you at the carnage that's caused by deceit and lies, and you will not want to do anything that causes that much pain in someone's life. You just won't. You want to get stronger in truth? Do you? Pick a day. Any day, I don't care. Pick a day that marks a point in your life where you decide that you are going to put an end to any kind of deceit in your life. You ask a recovering alcoholic what day they stop drinking, and they will be able to tell you the exact day. In fact, many of them can tell you the exact time and where they were and who was around. You ask a recovering person that's recovering from gambling, when they stop hitting the casino, they can tell you the day that they stopped. A significant change in your character begins at the point when you decide no more in my life. And maybe today's that day. You know, maybe you renounce deceit for the first time in your life. Maybe it's the 10th time in your life. Maybe it's the 100th time. But you get, come to a point, and I want you to imagine the power if every person at Faith Fellowship said, this is the day. No more deceit, no more lies, no more exaggerations, no more distortions. Truth, 100% truth as I move forward in my life. truth in my marriage, 100% truth in our family and with our friends and at work and in school and at the club and in the church, every arena of life, I'm going to live truth. You know, allowing God to guide you. Everything you say, everything you do, 
Every interaction, every deal, every transaction, everything with honesty and precision. Now, Jesus, he said, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He's talking about the Holy Spirit guiding us. Holy Spirit guiding us in truth. I mean, for some of you, this may be a real press. You go, wow, this is going to take some hard work. Well, maybe you need to ask a Christian friend to come alongside you, a, a Christian friend that's mature, that loves you for who you are. Christian friend that will hold you accountable, that will confront you, that, you know, those times when you start to embellish something or you're going to put a spin on something. And they just step into you and go, hey, I was listening to that. I'm not sure. Sometimes just knowing that you're going to have to look somebody in the eyes and give an answer for what you just said, Sometimes that's enough. It'll keep you from going down that path, or it'll keep you going down the right path. And here, here's something that's helped me. At the end, end of the day, it's, it's a good thing to do in life, but at the end of the day, just to pray and ask God how you're doing on this front. You know, to just have a personal conversation with God and say, you know, God, I want to ask you, have I exaggerated today? Have I put a spin on something? Have I lied? Have I been honest about everything? And then you just quiet, you just wait. And and here's how this works, because God, through his Holy Spirit, when you pause and just say, okay, I'm listening, God, what happens is you begin to see things, begin to see areas you'll be reminded of a conversation. And if deceits creeped in, it'll become very vivid in your mind. That's how the Holy Spirit works. You will know it when you see it. And when God points it out, don't just say, okay, well, I wasn't honest there. Okay, I I messed up. Next. I want to challenge you to stay with it at that point. I mean, if God points something out, some area where you've been less than honest, some deal where you've been less than honest, then I want to encourage you, go to that person. Go to that person and say, you know what? I wasn't quite straight here. And make it right. Even if it costs you. You Here's the deal. You only have to do that three or four times. And you will think long and hard before you're dishonest again. Because those are tough conversations. And the benefit of that is, one, you can put your head down on your pillow at night with a clear conscience. Because you know things are right with that person. And you know they're right with God. And the other piece, when you go to someone and you say, hey, you know what? I wasn't quite straight. 
that leaves an imprint on them. Because they're trying to figure out why you would come and make that right. Friends, it's about committing ourselves to 100% truth-telling. 100% truth-telling. Paul writes this, he says, Instead, we hold to the truth in love, becoming more and more in every way like Jesus or like Christ. The Holy Spirit wants to move us in the direction of truth. And when we move that way, when we allow the Holy Spirit to guide us, when we allow the Holy Spirit to press us, we become more and more like Jesus Christ. Have you ever noticed that? I mean, it may be a hard step, but it begins to change you. I mean, can you imagine what would happen if today every one of us made a commitment to 100% truth in our life? It would spill. It would change our community. It would change the businesses that we work with. It would change our marriages. It would just... It'd be quite a day, wouldn't it? If we made that commitment, it would just change things. Truth. Truth affects us horizontally. Your commitment to truth, my commitment to truth, it has that effect horizontally. I get it. But if you really want to get stronger in truth, it's a vertical thing. It's getting right with God. It's getting right with God to the point that you begin to check everything that you say and everything that you do through God to say, hey, is this, is this what I'm supposed to be about? Is this honest? Is this fair? Is this what you're calling me to? And when you get the vertical right, when drive deceit out of your life. I know I can, with God's help. You know, from this day forward, let's make a commitment. I will always tell the truth. Only tell the truth. It's the only way to live, isn't it? Let's bow in a word of prayer together. Our holy God, you are a holy God. God, we long to be your holy people. But God, we've all got our things, things that we struggle with. But God, I pray today would be a day that your people here at Faith Fellowship would rise up and say, no more. The whole world may lie. The whole world may be full of deceit. It may be the businesses that we're part of, friends around us don't even know what's true anymore. But God, I pray that your people would say, no more. No more twisting, 
No more distortion. Verbal precision in our life, God. That every word that would roll off our tongue would be honest and true. God, give us the courage and give us the strength to live that way. God, may we be your holy people in this world. May we make a difference in this world. God, make us stronger. God, we lay all the past at your feet. Today's the day, Lord, as a church that we stand together and we're yours. Every word from our lips belongs to you. God, may everything we say and do be pleasing in your sight. God's people said, let's stand and uh, worship together.